We are in Colossians, uh, and we're in Colossians chapter 3, and I just wanted to give you a, a brief review of where we were in the first part of Colossians, because uh, it's important as you understand how this chapter is divided up. And Paul speaks about the first part of Colossians, it's, and it, this is an analysis of practical Christianity. Practical Christianity. And so, in the first part of Colossians, the first uh, 11 or 12 verses, he talks about what we should not be, what we should not be doing, uh, and how we need to avoid these issues as men of God. Uh, and, it, and it bears repeating. He, he gives us list. And as I said to you the last time, this is a list given 2,000 years ago. You would have thought when you listened to this list that it came out yesterday by some preacher uh, in some church. But it's not because you understand that the human needs, the basic human drives have not changed. And so he warned against sexual immorality. Uh, and that takes place in so many levels. It's not just adultery. It's lust of the mind. It's going on in, in computers and looking at things that you shouldn't. Impurity or uncleanness, meaning lust. Lust. God wants you to stay away from lust, to avoid those things that are relating to lust. Greed and covetousness, this is a huge issue uh, for so many of us uh, who in, in some ways have envy in our heart uh, and it relates to greed, uh, a desire for possessions, a desire for position, uh, and that is worshiping an idol. That is idolatry. And so what happens when, that, when you do that? When you have jealousy or envy or covetousness or greed and you let that percolate in your heart, what happens there is that percolation metastasizes and eventually winds up in evil. It's evil. Uh, and, and you need to be aware of this, and you have to ask God to wash this away from you. So if this is a problem, you have to say, Lord, please take these thoughts away from me. Don't let me, let me do this. Uh, and here's the point. He was writing the list to the church. He's not writing this list for the unchurched, the pagans. He's writing it to the church. Meaning what? These things inhabit the church. All right? You, you've often heard me say this. I laugh when I hear people saying, I'm not going to church. It's just filled with hypocrites. And the response that you need to make is, no problem, brother. We got room for one more. And I think that's what you need to say. We got room for one more. That's right. We know we're, we know we're limping. We know we have failures. Uh, somebody said to me this morning that they, that they uh, were praying for somebody that had alcoholism. And I said, you know, I thank God that's one vice that I, I never had an issue with. But I got the others very much continuing to be <laughs> a part of my life. And don't ever let that, let that leave your mind, okay? Don't ever think that you go through this list and you go, oh, no. No, that's not me. That doesn't apply to me. I would never have that depth. Yes, we're all subject to these things. That's why he wrote this inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so he's telling us that we have to put these things to death. Meaning what? God has given you the grace through the Holy Spirit to control these things. All right? Don't just say, oh, I'm a weak person. God created me this way. No, he didn't create you this way. It's because you've given in to, to, to Satan. You've given in to these impulses instead of asking God to control your life and to control it. And so in each and every one of these cases, you have the position to say, Lord, help me, forgive me, wash me, take these thoughts away from me. That's how God wants you to live. 
This is what it means to be a man in Christ. All right? Take these, these things away from me. And then, then we talked about the fact that, that, that the wrath of God is coming. You know, here's the thing. God is long-suffering. I mean, if you think about your own life and think about where you were, how far outside of the will of God many of us were for so many years, and God let us alone. He didn't strike us down. He didn't visit us with some judgment. Instead, he allowed us. He allowed us in his forbearance and patience and love and forgiveness. Uh, he allowed that. But at some point, God puts us a line in the sand. And so we have to understand this. And so God, he's also warning us uh, in this early part of the chapter to rid ourselves, and that was in verse 9, Colossians 3, verse 9, that we must rid ourselves of the, such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Oh, Lord, you're talking to the church? Yeah, I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to the church. Uh, and so what we, what, here's the point of this. God has nominated you uh, as a missionary. And we spoke about the Great Commission. Uh, and if you've been part of my Sunday group, you know that that's a big part of what I've been teaching, that God has called uh, in his wisdom the equality of the group. There is no special standing under God's eyes. We are all equal uh, and, and trained, being trained and prepared to go out and speak to the world that is lost about God. You're all called to speak to the world that is lost about God. But how can you speak to the world that is lost if you're filled with anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language? Oh, wait, John, that, you're talking about the church. Yeah, I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the church because, you know, a lot of these things are not expressed publicly, but they're hidden, hidden anger. Hidden rage, hidden malice, hidden slander. Uh, yeah, filthy language, that's not hidden. And it comes out. And all you have to do is go out and play golf with some of the brothers. <laughs> Am I right? That's why some of you should swear off golf. <laughs> really. Because let's face it, you stink anyway. You're not getting any better. And you're dragging your spirit down with that language. So you, you, need, you need to be aware of this. And so here it is. He's, he's, he's pointing the finger to us and saying, you're men of God. God has called you to a greater call. He wants you to be a, a man of God that's a poster child for what it means to be a Christian. These are the things that you cannot have. These are the things that are eliminated. And you are empowered through the Holy Spirit to address it. He has given you the grace to, to address it, all right? Just like David. David didn't have to walk up on the roof because he knew that Bathsheba was taking a bath every afternoon. You understand? What do you do? You say, God, take this away from me. Then stay in until it gets dark. Am I right? It's that simple. Stay in until it gets dark. And if you find that the computer is a temptation, then unplug the computer. You understand? Unplug the computer. Don't let these things drag you down. God is, wants you. He's got such great expectations for you. God has such great expectations for you. The call of your life is for greater things. You don't want God to say someday when he sees you, oh, I'm just so disappointed. I had a lot of good plans for you. No, Father, I don't want you to say that to me. 
I want you to say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so this is a direction. This is the call on your life. And now, now we get to the section where he says what we should be. What we should be. Now that you've put off the old man, what we should be. And now we're looking at Colossians 3, uh, verse, verses 12 to 17. We're going to focus on that today. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with the gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What a, isn't this a set of marvelous verses? Imagine being able to live your life like this, that whatever you do, wherever you go, however you speak, that you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's not a place that you go, there's not a meeting that you don't attend, that you are not the ambassador of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen for that? You understand? This is not just a Sunday thing, all right, or the band of brothers thing, or a Monday thing. This is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week thing. You are the representative and ambassador of Jesus Christ in everything that you do, and he's telling you that, and he's giving you instructions on how he wants you to live. Look, first of all, he talks about the life of the new man in Christ, uh, and that we are the elect of God. And let me explain to you what the elect of God means. It means this. That God in his foreknowledge, at the moment that he was creating you, in his foreknowledge looked at that lump of, of atoms that, were, that, would go, where that was going to be you and determined, based on his foreknowledge, that you would serve God, that you would take the call of God, that you would become saved. And so in that sense that he had that foreknowledge, he then elects to choose you. Do you understand how that works? Okay, that's how it works understanding that. It's an amazing thing to think that the God of the universe would hold that in his hands and look at you and make that determination about you. Oh, praise God that he thinks that way about us. I mean, this is an amazing God we serve, that the world doesn't understand it, that this God who created everything stoops to our level, stoops to our level and decides that he wants to join us in partnership. Can you imagine? wants to join us in partnership. And as you understand how great he is, that he gives his son to die on the cross because he's so holy that he can't stand sin and that there has to be a divide between sin and holiness, that only through the perfect death of Christ himself could we ever be adopted into the family of God. He does it, and Jesus dies on the cross. And so now we're fully reconciled. We're now part of the family of God. We are the children of God. All right? And not only does he want us to be children, he wants us to be partners. He wants us to be ambassadors. He wants to use us to advance the kingdom of God. What a great God we have. All right? And you, when you realize this, 
You say to yourself, God, I don't want to be outside your will. I don't want to be a man that suffers from these vices. I want to be closer to you, Lord. I want to be your man. I want to serve you. I want to be used by you because I recognize how much you have done for me. Uh, and so you, you, you really, really get to understand the nature of love. And we're going to speak about that as we go on here. And so he talks about putting on the tender mercies. That's what we need to be. Kindness and humility. Can you imagine? Kindness and humility. And these tender mercies that he talks about really reflect themselves in relationships. It's all about relationships. You understand that? It's relationships. How do you treat each other? How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your children? How do you treat your families? How do you treat strangers? How do you treat your coworkers? How do you treat your employees? Do you treat them with humility and kindness or mercy? Or are you the kind of person that likes to put yourself in a position of power and authority? All right? Do you have kindness and mercy reflecting you in every way that you go in life? Can you say that? That you have kindness and mercy, and it's important uh, that you understand this as we look at these graces. Uh, and there's no mention here of these graces, by the way. There's no mention of cleverness, intelligence. You understand this? All right. Uh, hardworking. It's not mentioned. Why? Because God is looking at what God believes are the greater virtues, and those are the virtues that relate to the kindness and humility of heart. There's not a single example in the scripture that you can give me where God took a proud and arrogant man and elevated him in the kingdom of God. Not one time. In fact, there are many times when God cuts down the pride and the prideful and the arrogant. Many times. Uh, and so let's understand that. Don't put yourself in a position of superiority. Don't think that you're greater than somebody else. Don't think that you have greater spiritual discernment. Well, don't, don't think and you look at somebody that's hurting and think, well, they deserve it. They deserve it. Don't you do that. You're not the judge. Who made you the fruit inspector? I don't see any position in the scripture that says that you're entitled to be the fruit inspector. You're not. Your position is to pray and to intercede and to love and to care. And so we need to understand that these are the key to human relationships. So the, the apostles, clearly Paul understood this from, from his relationship with Jesus, that, that, he, that he expected the church to be sensitive to the slightest touch of misery. That you were there, and your position is that if you knew someone was in some way hurting and needed affirmation that you were called to touch them and lift them up, and to pray for them, to be into their lives, not to ignore them, but to step forward. I mean, really. And I think the perfect example of that that was evidenced in, in this group of, of men was when that, that woman, that grandmother, came forward uh, with, the, with the five grandchildren that she had adopted, all under the age of 10, uh, and was living in a 600-square-foot trailer. And we saw that, that no, she had no family, that there was nobody to step up. It was living in a dilapidated trailer. And that in a period of three months, because God put it on our collective hearts, that we needed to step up, that God did not want those children to be abandoned to a life that would have no future, that God put us in a position in which we wound up buying her a house and paid for it fully and furnished it fully and put her in place within three months of the day 
that we saw her in church. That's how God wants you to live. Somebody in church said to me, well, why did you, why did you feel you had to buy her house? She always lived in a trailer. Yeah, yeah. Somebody said that to me. Somebody said that to me. That's exactly how the Spirit of God does not work. She always lived in a trailer. Why don't you put her right back in a trailer? We don't do that. We don't do that. You understand? We don't do that. We, we, we seek the greater things in life. And so if God touches our hearts to act in kindness, we act in every way that we can, and God blesses and blesses. And I see those kids every week, and they're doing marvelously well. They're so much better adjusted, even though they, they lived through a torturous example where the father killed the mother and then committed suicide right there in the driveway. But God intervened, you see? God intervenes, but he uses us as his hands and his feet. He uses us and let us be sensitive to the Holy Spirit uh, and, and as we understand this. And so that's what this is about, God expecting us to be his hands and feet. Turn to Matthew 11, please. Matthew 11, verse 28. This is Jesus now speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There it is. Jesus tells you that, that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He loves you. He gives you the grace. And if you're burdened and you, and you don't have the peace of God, this is the answer. This is how we do it. And so this is, the wor- this is how we need to speak to a world. And so we see that humility here. Humility, the humility of Christ Jesus, and the humility that God wants for you uh, is the parent of both meekness and long-suffering. Meekness and long-suffering, meaning what? That as men of God, we should not have a lack of patience. That as we try to impact the kingdom of God, if somebody seems like they're not coming across quickly, we cut them off. We don't cut them off. We love them. We want to bring them. I told you that nobody's going to get saved if you leave them out in the curb. It's when you take them from the curb and you bring them inside to the church where the church can have an impact in their lives. Uh, And so here's the thing. God doesn't want you to dominate people. He doesn't want you to coerce people or to force your own position on people. He wants you in humility uh, and in long-suffering. Pray for them and love them and bring them in. Uh, showing them the humility of Christ Jesus. Look, this is what the world doesn't have. The world doesn't have humility. The world is all about lifting ourselves up, lifting ourselves up, and instead we push our face down in the dust. I told you this, that everything that I ever have or ever will have or ever will be is because of Christ Jesus. And it's the same for you. You have nothing in your life that you have that God didn't give you. You're a man of God. God is taking care of you. Whatever you have, whatever you will have, it is by the will of God. Don't ever, don't ever understand, misunderstand that statement. That's what this is about, understanding this. And so now he talks about forgiveness. Oh, forgiveness, Paul. The church. Yeah. You know what C.S. Lewis said, that senior demon. We do our best work where? In church. Okay, And I know that many of you here in this room have been hurt in church. 
And you've been hurt not by godly people. You've been hurt by people that are not godly. You have been hurt by people that didn't understand the will of God. Uh, and some of the worst damage that could be done is done in church. Well, I'm going to say to you right now, make it a point today. Forgive those people. Forgive them. Don't leave this place today with, with, with a chip on your heart that you're angry, all right, that you've been hurt in church. Don't do it. God is guiding your life. In many cases, God has taken you from one church and moved you to another church. God is taking you from one place and moving you to another. Whatever happens, we know what Joseph said to his brothers, right? His brothers who sold him into slavery. And, and 30 years later, he looked at his brothers that did everything to kill him, and he looked at them and said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You understand that? So what these evildoers may have done for evil, God takes and uses for good. So even if you've been hurt in church, I'm telling you today that God wants you to know that he's got better things for you. He's got better places for you. So you need to forgive. Forgiveness is, is, is a, a key thing. And, and in order to understand the nature of forgiveness, you have to look at how God forgave you. God holds back his anger and judgment a long time a long time against his people. He forbears for years upon years and upon years. And then, look at the forgiveness of God. Then he reaches out to bad people. You understand? God reaches out to bad people to forgive them. We would never do that. You understand that. If somebody's a bad person, I'm not forgiving that guy. I'm not forgiving that bad person. That's the difference between your, for, your state of forgiveness and God's state of forgiveness. Uh, the habit of man, and I wrote this, the habit of man is to not reconcile if the, the offending person is a person of bad character. I'm not forgiving that guy. He's a nasty, arrogant man. Well, if he's a nasty, arrogant man, give him up to God. You understand? Give him up to God. You need to forgive him. Uh, because if you don't forgive him, it's akin to you drinking rat poison in order to hurt him. Doesn't make sense, does it? I'm going to drink rat poison so he's hurt. That's exactly what you're doing by, by not forgiving. Uh, and so the other habit that human beings have is that the only way that they forgive people is if the other person uh, comes to them and seeks reconciliation. We don't do that. I want you to understand this. We forgive people even before they seek reconciliation. That's the difference between us, all right? That's the difference between us. Uh, and, and I recently had a, a meeting with someone, and it did not go well. Uh, and uh, this person said uh, a lot of things about me that were not true and were, uh, frankly, uh, hateful. And at the end of the meeting, I said to this person, I want you to know I still love you. I still love you. Now, with the John Garippa of 20 years ago, would the John Garip of 20 years ago say to somebody, I still love you? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I still love you? I mean, honestly, I would get in my car and wait for you to come out of the building and run over you. I want you to understand this, all right? And you guys have a pretty good idea of hearing me speak for a number of years now, knowing the nature of, of my personality, all right? It's only through the grace of God 
The grace of God that I said, Lord, change my life, that I could say to somebody that said that to me, that I want you to know something. I still love you. I still love you. I still care about you. I still am going to pray for you. That's how God wants you to leave. And so if any of you today are sitting here with this kind of chip on your shoulder, that there are people in your lives, maybe it's an ex-spouse, maybe the divorce was horrible, maybe it was a child, Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a former neighbor. Maybe even it was a leader in the church. Then you need to step forward and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. I'm not going to allow myself to be dragged down. I'm not going to allow this spirit of hate and anger to drag me down. This is not what God wants for me. This is not what God wants for me. And all you have to look is the example of Christ Jesus. Look at what he did for you, how much he forgave you. Could you ever possibly repay God because he died for you and is giving you life eternal? Well, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, you better think of it that way. You better think of it that way. This is personal. You got that? This is personal. He knew what you did and where you were going, and notwithstanding that, he put himself on the cross and died for you, for you for you individually, for us collectively. Uh, And so it's important to understand this, that God bore all the penalty for all time, for all the wrong that we did against him. When I think of what I did really uh, in my life that violated the will of God, I still ask God to forgive me now. You understand? Even though I am forgiven and washed, I still ask for forgiveness. Why? Does that mean I don't accept the fact that I've been forgiven? Yes, I accept it. But I want him to know that my heart still breaks that what I had done, that I never really understood that I was sinning against him. And I ask him constantly, Father, please, Lord, continue to wash me and protect me. Help me not to fall into these sins again because I'm perfectly capable of it. You understand? But now you're a man of God. You're leading your family. You're leading your community. You're leading your church. Your God is lifting you up. You're responsible for, this, for the souls of many people. People look at you. They respect you. They know that what you are. Now when you sin, now you don't just drag yourself down, but you drag an army with you. You do. You have to ask God to give you grace and understand this. Because you fall now, you take your whole family with you. You understand? You fall now, you take your entire family with you. And so as we, we focus in on these great words that he has spoken to us about, uh, it's, it's so amazing to us. And what's amazing to me about God is not only does he forgive us, not only did he put his son on the cross in order to forgive us, uh, not only uh, does he fully justify us, but he reconciles us so that now we are fully part of the family of God He looks at us as the brothers and sisters of Jesus. You are the children of God. Who else would do this but God? And then, even more miraculously, he says, I want to partner with you in ministry. Lord, you want to partner with me? Yeah. I want you to be part of the Great Commission. I want you to go out in the world. I want you to speak about me. I want you to go out and find the lost. I want you to go out and let people know that there's a better way of life. You understand this? 
Then, then you see this, you put all these virtues together, but you understand more and more that the greatest virtue of all is what he exhibited for us, which is love. Which is love. And one of my favorite passages in Scripture that speaks about this, which is so deep and so profound, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Please turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And the top of the chapter in your Bible should say love. And now Paul is going to explain what love is, how God defines love, what the love is about. And, and this is a passage that I speak whenever I do a marriage ceremony. I'll speak about this relating to the love that a, a husband has to have for a wife. But it's also about what it is as a, as a member of the body of Christ. We are all members of the body of Christ. We are across denominational lines. I know I have many different denominations in this group today. But what I'm saying to you crosses denominational lines. I don't care what church you're part of. God has called you to be part of the body of Christ. And now look at what, what Paul says as to how we need to be in the body of Christ. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. What an example there is right there. There's no boasting when we love each other. There's no pride when we love each other. When you see another man or woman of God and, and God is doing things in their lives and elevating them, you're not envious. You're happy. You're happy that God is, is blessing them and using them. That's the way it is. I would be so happy if every one of you wound up in some way having your own Bible study. I wouldn't be envious or angry. I would be proud of you, really. And I would be so grateful that God is using that. And I know so many of you are stepping out for God right now. There's no arrogance uh, or pride in us as men of God. But we love each other, and that's what it's about. Uh, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily anchored. It keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, wow. How do you like that? It keeps no record of wrongs. He's writing to the church. God doesn't keep a, a, a ledger in which he says, oh, yeah, look at this guy. I can't wait to squash him. I can't wait to squash him, this miserable piece of dust. You understand? That's how we would be, wouldn't we? Well, yeah, I got it. There's nine things down here. This guy's got to pay. No, God doesn't do that. You see, the love of God is such that when he accepts us uh, as his child, it's all forgiven, it's all wiped away. That's how love is. There's no place for this uh, as a man or woman of God. There's no place for this kind of conduct. And if you're seeing this and you're convicted about it, good. Because God wants you to be convicted. He wants you to change that attitude right now. And don't tell me, God, this is how I'm created. No, you weren't created like that. All right? You grew into that. Who knows where somewhere deep in your primordial past somebody did something to you that caused some uh, scar tissue. And as I like to say to the guys in the group, get over it. Your mother and father died 40 years ago. Okay? We buried them. Move on. You're 80 years old. When is it going to end for some of you? When is it going to end? Grow up. Grow up. Snap out of it. That's what God is saying to us. Snap out of it. Uh, it. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. I mean, there it is. 
The world, rather, the world loves it. Somebody stumbles, somebody falls. Oh, you've got to get the paper. Front page. Front page news. We love it, don't we? We love it especially. Oh, it's great, isn't it? When some pastor of a, of a megachurch falls and winds up having uh, multiple affairs. Now, what do many of us say? Well, good. Good. I knew that guy was a phony. I knew that guy was a hypocrite. We can't, we got to stop acting like that. We got to stop acting like that. That's not the love of God. The love of God should be you're convicted when you see that. Your heart hurts. It's painful to see this thing go on. You need to elevate people like that and pray for them, understanding that that's not how God acts. All right? We do not delight in evil. We don't delight in evil. We bow our head and say, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. Help me to walk as the way you want me to walk. That's what this chapter is about, being truly walking as men of God, understanding what our call is. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. How about that? How about that? Love always protects and defends and lifts up. Always trusts. We trust in God. We trust in God that God holds us uh, and will be with us and will not ab abandon us. We love God because he has demonstrated his love to us. Uh, uh, always hopes. When we're filled with the love of God, we always hope that his grace surrounds us forever, that he will be with us, and that our hope is entrusted in faith. That's what this is about. When you have the love of God in your heart, you are filled with that eternal hope because you know where you're going. You know that if you were taken out of this world in one instance, the next instance you would be face-to-face -face with Jesus. And you'd be face-to-face -face with your family that have already gone ahead of you. That's the hope that God gives you. That's what it's all about. Uh, and always perseveres. That's what love does at the end. Despite all these other virtues that are great virtues uh, and great hallmarks of men of God, love trumps all. Because in the end, when you have the love of God in your heart, you will persevere. You will seek those relationships. You will seek to elevate. You will seek to affirm. You will seek to pray. You will seek out those who are in misery, those who are in pain, those who are in need. That's what you need. You need to be surrounded by the love of God. And let me say something else to you now. If you say right now, you know, John, I don't feel like a very loving person. And I would say this. I understand that some of us have not been raised in the kind of environments in which we've seen love demonstrated to us, either with our father or our mother or our families. I would say to you, you ask God. You say, Father, I want to serve you. Please fill me with your love. Help me to be a better loving Christian. God will answer that prayer. He will answer that prayer. He will fill you with his spirit and you will see yourself changing. You will see yourself changing in ways where you can come out of a meeting with somebody that has just said bad things, not elevating things, and you could say at the meeting, I still love you. That's not you. It's the Holy Spirit in you. You understand? It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit in you. And so it's important for you to understand this, that this is how God works. Uh, and verse 8, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. How about that? How about that? Where he talks about these other gifts, and yet Trump, love trumps those. 
even where there may be a gift of prophecy. Love surpasses it. Where there'll be a, a gift of somebody will have a gift of speaking in tongues. Love trumps it. Uh, and where somebody will have great spiritual knowledge. Love trumps it. You understand the importance of understanding how, how important love is? You understand how important love is? Uh, and, and I would say to you that, that I don't think there's ever been a greater need for love than there is right now. There is no greater need for love because here's the thing. We recognize that, that we do not necessarily feel the same way about the nature of our government, or the nature of our history, as, as many other people do. And how easy is it for you to develop a spirit of hate? How easy is it? You turn on Fox News, right? You turn on Fox News. And I'm not against Fox News. I like Fox News. But I can only take a certain diet of Fox News. You understand? I'm good probably for about 10 minutes. That's me. You guys may be better than me. But 10 minutes it does it for me. Because then what, I, what winds up happening is this. What is wrong with these people? What is wrong with these people? All right, somebody said to me about a, uh, another political party, uh, is it possibly, possible to be a member of that political party and be a Christian? <laughs> now, I'm not going to tell you what political party it is. <laughs> but here's the point. Do you understand how good people can go wrong He's writing this letter to the first century church. He's not writing it at a political convention. It's the first century church. And all these people who walked with Jesus, who stood there with Jesus, many of whom saw Jesus ascend into the clouds, have now deviated from the words of Jesus Christ. Does it mean that they're not Christians? No, they're Christians, but they have deviated from the fundamental love of God. You understand? Deviated from the fundamental God. What you need to do is you need to pray for those people who are in opposition to your viewpoint. You have to ask God to intervene with our government. You have to ask him to intervene with our president, okay? Don't think we're going to all sit down together in front of a campfire. We'll roast some marshmallows. We'll sing Kumbaya, and we'll all come together. Are you kidding me? That will never happen. It's only by the divining word of God who will come in and touch the hearts of people that their hearts will be changed. That's what we need to ask for in America. God, intervene. Intervene, Father. Bring us to our knees, Lord. Help us to see the cross of Christ when I recognize that he's speaking to the first century church and the first century church is filled with this kind of garbage how can I not be surprised that the world that we have now is filled with this garbage? So we have to be, be, be in a position where we stand guard, where we stand in the draft, where we stand so that other people can see us, so that we pray for these people, that we love them, that we can fill our hearts with love and affirmation and pray. And so what do we want for ultimately? We want to be able to say, let the peace of God Rule in your hearts. Remember this as we come to a close on this lesson. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Meaning what? It's the peace of God. The peace of God generally amongst us. And the individual peace of God in your heart. You understand? In your heart. It's like when the, when the, uh, uh, the angels came to announce 
the birth of Jesus. Uh, and they said, peace on earth, peace on earth, and, and goodwill to men uh, of goodwill. Meaning what? Meaning that the peace of God had now come to earth. But it's not a generalized peace of God. You understand? It's a peace of God that walks with you individually as you impact a lost group of people. People will see that. And so let you be the perfume. Let you be the salt. Let you let, be, let people see. What does it mean to have the peace of God? And not only does that peace inhabit yourself, but it inhabits those other people where you are. Let every place you go have that peace. Be the kind of man that God wants you to be in every setting as you lift up his word and you bring other people to understand what the glory of Jesus Christ is. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your words today. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for his insight, Lord. Lord, every one of us in this room wants to be this kind of man. We want to be your poster child. We want to serve you. We want to have these qualities imbue us in every aspect of our life. And we want to be filled with love, Father. Every one of us wants to be filled with love so that when we impact evil or people that are outside your will, we can still love them and care for them and sense their misery and their hurt and ultimately bring them to your cross. Lord, strengthen us and give us courage to step out the way you want us to be. Be with our men, Lord, this week. Protect them in every way and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.